0: So it, it always pays to go, not the cheap route, because the cheap route is usually the most expensive route. And the Bible teaches us that we should not waste our goods. Now this is what we talked about last week. And uh, some of you were not here. And a remark that I made that I feel that I should make again tonight was, if you fail to keep up that which God has given you, it is a definite indication of a non-thankful spirit. The things that you are thankful for, you will preserve and you will keep them. And one of the signs of the last days is that people will be unthankful. Isn't that right? They will be unthankful. So, if we are thankful for what God has given us, we will do our best to keep it up. That's why we're doing all this work Saturday. Now, if you are not able to come out Saturday and work we trust that, that sometime during the before all the works done that you will volunteer because this belongs to the Lord and all of us are stewards while we're trying to sell the building at the same ta- time we're going to maintain it brother manley is in real estate and he can assure you that the properties that sell low are usually the properties that are in bad need of repair. Is that right, Brother Manley? It's usually that way. And when you go into a place that's ship-shape, everything is done, usually, unless it's a hardship case where people are trying to settle an estate or they need out for job purposes, transfers or such, usually the the properties will go for a premium. And it all is an indication of how we really feel about what God has given to us. Now, we don't want to go overboard and spend all of our time and become literal servants to materialistic gods. We don't want to do that. But at the same time, we want to be practical because... We understand that a well-maintained life and a well-maintained uh, whatever it is that you're a steward over is really the least inexpensive, and as far as time is concerned, it is the the thriftiest thing that you can possibly do. Now, First Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse one. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now stewardship is a matter of managing what God has given you. If you don't have much, that's irrelevant. Just manage it. If you have much, That's still irrelevant. Just manage it and be thankful for what you have and do the best that you possibly can with it. Now, we want to talk tonight about the word thankful. All right? Not thankful, but faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Let's say that together. Faithful. Let's say it again. Faithful. Faithful. Now, Galatians 5 The fruit of the Spirit. One of those is faith. In Galatians 5, as Paul begins to describe the fruit of the Spirit, he speaks of faith. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Okay? There is faith. In the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12, not far from where we read, eight chapters later, the Apostle Paul speaks... And he talks about the gift of faith. Verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, in verse 9, to another faith. Now, we have faith as a fruit and we have faith as a gift of the Spirit. Now, taken in the context, and I'm not trying to twist the Scripture. God would forbid, God forbid that I would try to do that. But in the context of the fruit of the Spirit, the, the word faith that's found here could be translated faithful gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, the Lord gave us a parable, and I'd like you to turn there, if you would, with me to Luke the 18th chapter, and I have recently heard this parable spoken of by Some minister of our congregation, I'm not for sure, maybe it was Brother Felix who was talking to me about it, or maybe I heard him preaching on it, but the parable of the unjust judge. Now, the Bible tells us that the Lord spake a parable, and he said men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, all right? And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, "Avenge me of mine adversary." Now we want to just stop there just for a moment, and we want to talk about an adversary. First Peter the fifth chapter, verse eight and nine. The Bible tells us that the adversary is who? The devil. Now if somebody just turned and read those scriptures for us, First Peter. 5, verse 8 and 9. We have quite a few scriptures in this study, so if somebody would read that for us. Alright, Brother Brian has it. Stand up, Brother Brian, read it loudly. Verse 8 and 9. Be sober, be diligent, because your whom he may have devour, whom resist steadfast in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Alright. So in this particular in this particular scripture, our adversary is the devil. But let me ask you this is it always necessary for us to look at an adversary as the devil? What is an adversary? Maybe somebody could tell me. What uh, how would you describe an adversary? All right. Sister Luke says one that works against you. And I think as we look in the Bible that we wouldn't have to look very far to find out that there're things that work against us that are not connected in a very direct way to the devil himself. Now, When Jesus said you cannot serve two masters, he was not talking about serving God and serving the devil. You can't hold hands with God and mammon, but mammon is a substitute for God. Not necessarily the devil, but anything that would take the place of God in your life. And just as... as We can have other gods besides the one true living God. We can also have other adversaries besides the one true devil. And so it is possible that we can substitute things for God. So that things that are made with our hands become gods to us. Now the Bible speaks of that now that's idolatry now it's also true that there are certain things that you can substitute in the scripture for the devil or for the adversary so things can become adversaries to us so an adversary is something that is an enemy an opponent something that opposes you and your cause. cause. Have you ever felt that maybe your car was demon-possessed? <clears throat> have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that maybe something that you owned was really demon-possessed? You know, every now and then, you'll have something that will just try you and try you and try you and try you. Now, I have a, had automobiles that that really became an adversary to me. Now, my policy has always been that if in any three-month period of time I spend more on, on repairs than what I do on my note on the car, I trade it and get another one. Now, I have made some exceptions to that. An exception would be that if you had one major repair like a transmission that went out of your car, it's possible that the transmission would cost more than three monthly notes. And you've got to get it fixed anyway. so when it's fixed, everything else is solid and sound. But if you are if your car is just uh, you know habitually broken, you know it's just always busted, something's wrong, uh, it can become an adversary to you. You spend more time. Now, it is possible that that things become adversaries to us simply because we have not exercised good stewardship by keeping the things together as they ought to be together. Now, I'm going to give you one example of, uh, of what uh, uh, I'm talking about, and, and if you'd have been here this week, you would have probably already heard this example. Uh, we were to send a bus down to Indianapolis, and, of course, when I told... Uh, Brother, friend, we'd send a bus to Indianapolis. It was way, way, way back there. And I felt that we had buses that were roadworthy. If they weren't, we shouldn't be driving around here picking up kids with them. Now, we bought an engine. We put it in the back room. Now, I never intended to see that engine uh, just set back there as long as it did. But nevertheless, it did stay back there until last week. Now, Monday, all day Monday until uh, a dark 30 Monday night, and all day Tuesday and until dark 30 Tuesday, I worked on that bus. And I was out there working underneath that bus when dark was approaching Tuesday. The thing was supposed to run on Monday. Now, <clears throat> the reason why that I was working so hard on that one, we were to take a Ford bus Now, the Ford bus, two years ago, in the summer, we put a new engine in it. At the same time, we went and put a lot of other work in We put a clutch in it. We put uh, an exhaust system. We put brakes on it. But in the course of all this, we found out that it had a bad front end under it. And uh, so because we'd spent so much money, we thought, well, we better go ahead and get it going. So we put... uh, uh, I called around and found a, a state, a recently state-inspected front end to go underneath the Ford. It was going to cost us $350, I think it was, brother Kurt, wasn't it, to get get it fixed? Okay, we got a, a front end for a $150 or something like that, and I hired a couple of guys. I think I paid them $75 to put it in. Now it was recently state-inspected. And that's two years ago. Okay, we put it under it. We were going to take the Ford down to Indianapolis, but the problem was when I got the Ford out to drive it, you could hardly steer it. Now, I'm sure that somebody's aware of this because it's been running every... You could hardly steer it, and it would cut over to one ditch and back over the other and back over the other one. Well, I knew there's something wrong with this bus, so I drove it back here, we parked it, I got a mechanic to come and look at, and he said the kingpins are about to drop out of it. Now that's exactly what we replaced a year and a half ago. Now why were the kingpins about to drop out? Because since they were put in there, there has not been one squirt of grease put in it. Not one squirt of grease. Those things were as dry as a powder house. That's a place where they manufacture powder. I meant they were dry. Now, you know, the truth of the matter is that probably all the grease that it would have taken to to keep it maintained for two years would have at least been a dollar and a half. And it would have taken probably no more than ten minutes to have greased it three times in a year and a half. And the bus would still be running. But now what are we going to do with the bus? I put it in the shop today, and it's going to cost $150 to get kingpins put in it. Now, you follow what I'm saying? I think that I could have chosen a 10-year-old kid in the congregation and drew a picture and sent them out there, and they would have known what to do to keep that maintained. That's just poor stewardship on our part that we're letting these buses run down like they are. Now, if you're in the bus ministry and you feel that you're responsible, then sure enough, I'm talking right to you. You follow what I'm saying? See, that is unwise to take offerings and beg for money and then let things run down like that. Well i got to tell you, this week, that Ford bus and that Chevrolet bus, both of them were adversaries to me. And if they had have been my own private vehicles, separate and apart from any connection to you, you know what I would have done with them? In fact, i tell you what I did. I called the wrecking yard and asked the man if he would come and tow them away and give us just X number of dollars for them. I went and prayed and decided I better not do it. See? So <clears throat> this week I said, well, if I have to do it, I will do it. Because I can't let this get the best of me. I put the GMC in the shop and we got new belts on it and and got a new uh, exhaust pipe on it. That's all that we could find was wrong with it. It cost $55, but it's ready to run Sunday. The Chevy bus is ready to go, and the Ford bus will be ready to go. It doesn't take a whole lot of time to maintain things, but once they tear up through negligence, now everything's going to wear out. You see, since God put us here on this earth, and since there has been a curse pronounced upon this world and death entered into the situation... Everything that we touch will deteriorate. It's going to it's going down. It's going to die. And there's only one way, only lo- one logical way to stay abreast of things and that is to do what you need to do to maintain it. Now what does that have to do with faithfulness? I think you know, don't you? You see, I think that you get the drift. Now, it may sound like that I, I'm coming across real hard on these buses and everything, but but uh, maybe when we're finished, maybe for a while, till the Lord inspires me with another message like this, maybe they'll get greased and get fixed and, and such. And I have to do this every now and then to keep my sanity, see? Now, if you notice what happens, notice this. Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor nor, uh, regard man. Yet because this would have troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, notice what happens here. Verse 7. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him? though he bear long with them. Verse 8, and listen to this verse. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find what on the earth? Faith on the earth. And a test of a man's faith is his loyalty to the cause. see, that all of Christianity is predicated upon a succession of continual occurrences. And that's one of the traits of God, to be diligent and to be prompt and to do what needs to be done. Why? To stay out of trouble. Because if you don't, after a while you're going to have so many adversaries... You know, the dishwasher doesn't work. The commode keeps running and leaking water. The basement leaks because I didn't fill up that hole outside. You know, I didn't have time to fix that roof and the garage door keeps falling down. And every time I walk across the floor in a certain place, it squeaks. I can't open this shade because there's a rip in the screen and the flies come in. And there's so many things you can't do and you feel so bound. Why? Because you have not maintained your life. And for sanity's sake, you've got to be faithful. I think this is why Peter or Paul was saying, moreover, is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. Let's say it together. Faithful. I said again, faithful. Now, things can become your adversary. And a well run life is naturally run by a faithful steward. And Jesus said, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the, on the earth. Now, what I want to do, I want to talk about faithfulness and I want to talk about faith just for a moment. Now, Faithfulness is associated more with what you do externally, see, whereas faith is an element of belief, something that's internal. But faithfulness uh, involves your, your diligence or your promptness to the feelings that you have inside of your heart. Now, if you will turn with me to James, the second chapter, and I have preached from this chapter so many times in my ministry, but I do think it's a very beautiful parallel with what we're talking about. Verse 14 of James 2, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace! Be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye would, uh, uh, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Now notice this, verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now the parallel, I say the parallel, the example that he gives, Is this verse 18? Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I show you, uh, I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils believe and tremble. In other words, they have a basic knowledge that there is a God. That's what he's saying. They have a basic knowledge that God supplies needs. The devil knows all of these things. But you see, he does not act according to his knowledge. And so as a result, just because you know certain things, it won't save you. That's what he's saying. Now faith without works, he said, is dead. Verse 20. But wilt thou, O vain man... That faith without works is dead. But without know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Now, when he uses the word death, death literally means separation. That's what death means. If you look up the phrase in the Greek, you will find that the word death actually means separation. Now, why then does the word death mean separation? Because when the body is separated from the spirit of man, when the spirit goeth back to God which giveth it, it brings about a condition that is totally lifeless and chaotic. And one of these days we will all experience it. Our spirit will go back to God that gave it to us. And when your friends march around and view your body, they understand that a separation has occurred, that pulsation has left the body, and that a a real separation has occurred. Now, when James says that faith without works is dead, now that's exactly what he's saying that if we expect life in God, it must be coupled together with a unity of an inner knowledge and outer action. And if for some reason you believe certain things and you don't do certain things, he says you're no better off than the devil, because he knows certain things, he just doesn't do it. So he says now... If you think that just an inner knowledge of something will save you, he said, now you're mistaken. Just believing will not save you. Because an inner belief without an act, outer action is death. In other words, separation. Just like the body. When the spirit leaves the body and goes back to God that gives it, what happens to the body then? The body is lifeless. It's time to bury the body. It's time to uh, expose of the whole thing or d- dispose of the whole thing. It's get it out of the way. Because death literally means separation. And when he's saying faith without works is dead, this is what he's saying. That just an inner knowledge without an outer action is is a chaotic condition and it will not do you any good at all. The parallel is just like death. A separation. Now, faith without works, James says, then is dead. Death does speak of the separation, the soul and the spirit that leaves the body. So faith, operating on its own, without works, totally brings about a Uh, a valid or invalid situation as far as God is concerned. You know, you can't just sit down, that's what he's saying, and say, well, I believe, and this is important, and that's important, and you don't do anything about it. He said, now, that doesn't work. You're kidding yourself. It, it's like the test of love and, and children. What does what does Paul say about mothers and fathers who will who will uh, chastise their children? He said, "Now, if you take your child and when your child does wrong, if you'll correct him, that's a true sign that you hate him. Is that what he says? Oh no, he said that's a true sign you love him, and if you stop correcting him." Well, you may say, I love him too much to hurt his feelings. I love him too much to make him cry. I love him too much to spank his little bottom. And you can come up with all kinds of excuses now because I'm here to tell you that there is a market of counselors and advice that will tell you how to raise your kids. See? So you've got all kinds of excuses nowadays. But nevertheless, the old book is still the book. And while you say, well, I love them too much for this, and I love them too much for that, he said, now, wait a minute. If you let them go, you don't love them. And he says, now, my children are certain things I'll let them buy with, and certain things I don't. Isn't that what God was saying? Through the Apostle Paul? So when chastisement comes upon us, when we're chasing the Lord, it is a true sign that God really loves us, and He really cares for us. See? And so we can say, Well, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith, I believe, I believe, I believe, and I care about this and I care about that, but yet all the caring we do is in our own mind. James says, Now, wait a minute, you're kidding yourself. You're just kidding yourself. And we find this pattern throughout the Bible. People receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost after baptizing baptized in Jesus' name. And they're baptized in Jesus' name as a test of their faith to God. They go do it. Now, let's move on just a little bit further. So you see, both the gift of faith and the fruit of faithfulness are needed in our lives. An inner faith that causes us to be faithful brings about quick vindication from the adversary. Now, it doesn't make any difference whether it's a spiritual battle you're fighting or a physical one. I see very little difference. If you don't maintain your spiritual life by praying every day, what's going to happen? The devil's going to jump jump right on your back. And if you're running some machine every day and you're not oiling it and greasing it and doing what you need to do, what's going to happen? The thing's going to start slowing down. It's going to start stop uh, performing the way it should. After a while, it's going to become a real adversary to you. Have you ever had a, a lawnmower that you couldn't get started? And you could just crank and crank and pull and pull and pull. Listen, I have pulled lawnmowers till I had blisters on my hands. See? And I think, man, if I can just mow my yard one more time before I have to get this thing fixed. And I'll pull and pull because I'm in a hurry. See, I don't have time to take it to the shop. And I pull and I pull and I pull and I pull. And after a while, I find out, man, I've been working on this thing two hours already. Something's got to give. And all of a sudden, it starts. I mow my lawn. I take it and push it back in the corner. See, I haven't changed the plug in that thing in I don't know how long. Just give you an example. And and the, uh, the, the points in the thing, they never have been changed. And you know a tune-up on a lawnmower is fairly inexpensive. Isn't that right? But every time I get it out, I dread it. i got to pull, I've got to pull, I've got to pull. I keep cleaning out the carburetor. I do everything. I pull out the plug and I take my jackknife out and I clean all the crud out of it and I put it back in there. And now it's going to go because I don't have time to take care of this thing, see? I'm a busy person. You're going to find out, listen, not only could you have had time to take it down to the shop, if you were a mechanic, you could have tore it apart and fixed it yourself in less time. Isn't that right? And besides that, when things don't go right, people get what? Frustrated. You ever seen a frustrated person? Just the other day, somebody around the church here, and I could call the name, they walked away from the situation, and they didn't know that I heard them, but I heard them say, one, two, three, four, five, trying to cool off. Something they were working with, and I don't remember what it was. wasn't working right. See? So, this is what we need to understand. A faithful person, he is reliable. He is dependable. Whereas faith is more of a belief or a hope. But it causes you to respond outwardly so that you can stay abreast of things. And I still say the 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 inexpensive cheap route for any person is usually the most expensive one. Now, in choosing spiritual leaders, and this is something that I've heard taught, it's something I personally practice and I I really do think it's a route to go. And it's probably just the opposite of what you, you would think. If you're choosing someone as a spiritual leader, and we have a lot of spiritual leaders around here, ranging all the way from bus captains to ushers to uh, Sunday school teachers, rest home workers, uh, Bible study teachers, a uh, lot of different uh, personnel we had have and work in the area of leadership. What is the first quality that you look for? The first quality that you look for in any individual that you want is faithfulness. How reliable, how dependable are they? Now, I've gone over this with you before. I do it in the stewardship classes, but for the benefit of those who need to freshen up in their mind. Now, ordinarily, you'd think that if you're looking for a person to do a particular job, you'd look for talent. And I can assure you that if you're looking for talent, as your number one priority, you might be right when you choose a talented person, but you have a strong chance of being wrong. But if you look at a person, number one, that's faithful. Now, <clears throat> the others that I put down, they may be changed around a little bit in, 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 uh, in your particular order of priorities, but number two, I would say that a person must be truthful. They got to have the ability to tell the truth. Now you may say, "Well, that goes before faithfulness." Well, you could have a person that be extremely truthful and not not show up for the job. You know, and I have been—I have noticed this in some people. Some people do not have a complex at all about just calling him and said, "Oh well, brother Grant, I overslept." Now, if you overslept, naturally I wouldn't want you to cover it up, but then some people just they wouldn't think the second time about not setting the alarm and just oversleeping. And here your appointment says 9, and here 10 o'clock comes, 11 o'clock comes, and you don't see them. Where are they? Now, see, they're real truthful, but they're not faithful. You, can't, you, you just can't depend on them. They'll, they'll tell you the truth, but you can't depend on them. Number three is loyalty. If you are a team member, you've got to be loyal to the team. If you're always backbiting some of the team member, then that's bad, isn't it? And you've got to be loyal. And number four in the list in which I choose spiritual leaders, number four is ability. They've got to have the ability. But now let's just consider just for a moment. Suppose a person is extremely talented. I mean extremely talented. Now, we just chose a new choir director, and Brother John, we'll pick on you just for a minute, okay? Let's say, now Brother John, go is presently our choir director. Now, he has the ability... But let's say that he wasn't reliable. Then what would happen? Everybody gets here, they're ready to sing, and no John Commander. And then when Christmas time comes, no Christmas musical. That's kind of a custom, you see, we have. See, Special events, well, we just kind of bombed out. We couldn't get it together. Now, he's got the ability But you see, it's not ability that God's looking for, it's usability. You see, if God can use you and depend on you, He can create the ability within you. I'm a firm believer that whatever God has called you to, He will qualify you for that. Now, just because you're called doesn't mean you're qualified. But He can qualify you for it if He's called you for it. See, if you meditate upon the Lord, and if God's called you to be a missionary, you can be a missionary. If God's called you to be an editor of a paper, you can be an editor of a paper. If God's called you to be a choir director, you can be a choir director. You may say, but I don't have the ability to be an editor of a paper. Well, if, if, if please understand that, that God uses a lot of wisdom in what he does. He doesn't call everybody to be editors of papers. But if he's called you to be an editor, he can qualify you. But God cannot qualify a person that will not make himself available. He can't. So all the ability locked up in an unfaithful vessel will not help God one bit. I am reminded of um, a situation that we had when I left our church in East Texas to go to Bible college. I a couple of weeks later, after school started, I was followed there by a couple of young men in the church. Now, one of these young men was extremely talented, very brilliant boy. Preach? Man, he could preach. He was really good. And he was a very close friend of mine. After he got there, his big concern was when the other young preacher got there, I wonder will he stay? Because well he's not a good preacher and he just went on and on and on. Well he wasn't a good preacher, to tell you the truth, he really wasn't. You know, he's the type of preacher that when he preached everybody wants to stay home. See? If they knew about it. So when he preached, the pastor didn't tell anybody. He you know, he needed a chance, but he just wasn't good. I mean, there was no guesswork about it. He just plain wasn't good. <clears throat> well, went to Bible school, and uh, things were going good. And and uh, this one boy, he was getting good grades and such. And every time he'd come over, he said, "Well, I'm I'm worried about Paul." Because his name was Paul. I'm worried about him because I, I'm just amazed that he stuck it out this long. Well, I don't know why, but midterm came. Well, this this one preacher that preached so good and everything, he just, uh, overnight, Sister Grant and I were just, we were flabbergasted. He came over and said, well, I'm, I'm I'm going. I'm leaving. Now, he didn't tell us the true reason for leaving, but he told us, he said, well, he said, you know, uh, uh, the truth of the matter is, he said, I believe that they have just... Uh, I've got about what I need here to to go start a church. Well, he left and moved to another city, moved from that city to another city and uh, around. The other boy just stayed there and stayed in Bible school. After a while, he graduated. Now, the situation is that the boy who could really preach, when I started my first church in Texas, he came over and preached for us a few times. Could he ever preach? I mean, he could preach, preach. He could move people with his preaching. He could pray in the prayer room. The other boy came and preached for me, and and really, I hated to see him come home. I started a church in the city where his mother-in-law lived, and I hated to see him come home because I didn't want to ask him to preach, and at the same time, I felt I should. You know, he was a good friend of mine, and his folks were in the church or his wife's folks were in the church and he'd get up and all oh, he he just didn't have it that's it so now since that time and that was back in the early 60s they're both still in the ministry one of them has never pastored never evangelized The most that he has done, and I'm not saying this in a demeaning way, because this position is very important. The most he has done, Brother Ronsby, a Sunday school superintendent. Now, that is a very important position. But see, God called him to do more than just that. And when I say more, I'm not talking about in importance. But the problem is, he wasn't a Sunday school superintendent very long. What was the problem? You couldn't nail his feet down to get him to be steady at anything. Now, this boy now is in his mid-30s. And in all probability, he will never do anything for God. See, he's not doing a thing now. Nothing. The other man went to a nearby city, where this one excellent, outstanding preacher lives, and took a work. It's not in the state of Texas; it's in the state of Arkansas, and uh, he's built a new building, running over crowds. He has recently applied for the mission field to become a missionary. What was the difference? One boy, even though he did not have the ability, you could depend on him. If he said he would do something, he would do it. And you could depend on him. Always. He was just dependable as day and night. Always there. Always available. He'd come out to work at church when we would wish he'd stay home. Because he couldn't do anything. I'm serious with you. He was kind of a sissy type boy, and he couldn't do much. And when he'd come out to work, we would find some job for him to do, because you just couldn't put him to doing certain things. But that's not true now. In fact, the new building they built, he built a lot of it himself. Where did he get that ability? He made himself available to God. He was faithful. The other boy could build things and preach and you name it, he could do it. What's he doing now? Nothing that I know of. If he's teaching a Sunday school class, I don't even know of that. You think he'll ever be a missionary? Well, if he does, he's going to have to change a few things. You know the reason why he's not in a good position in the church now? Because his pastor can't depend on him. Now, you know, it is really sad when you think of it that some people have all kinds of talents and abilities because they are never available. Just not available. Just can't do it. You know, people get reputations. <clears throat> okay. There are certain people that if I have an appointment with them, I know they're going to be early. Nothing wrong with coming early. It's just that I can't meet with you early if you come early. Why are you always late to everything? I don't know. We just are. And we just rush, 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 rush. I said, you know, if you just eliminate maybe one thing out of your life, just one, one hour period of time out of your life and jump from that to the next so that you can do it on time and you stay just as busy, as you have been, you'll always be on time for everything else. It just seems like you're running just one appointment late. So just drop it. Just forget that you even have it, because you're not going to show up on time anyway. And just move on to the next one, and just stay there, and just keep busy all the time. You understand what I'm saying? It may sound a little bit complicated, or maybe maybe it isn't, but but that's, that's the way some people run their lives. And you cannot depend on them. Do you know to do the work of the Lord on the face of the earth, it requires promptness, diligence, faithfulness. Doesn't it? And not only that, Paul says. Moreover, it is required, 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 required. I say that together. Required. Moreover, it is suggested. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. You know, <clears throat> I hope that I can develop a reputation of being faithful. Now, I know that I'm I'm derelict in a lot of my responsibilities and duties. I, would, I know that. And I told Sister Grant just this week, I said, Hon, I'm going to have to do something because I feel that I'm spread out too thin trying to do too much. But the truth of the matter is, I believe in the eyes of God, you are a whole lot better off to do a few things and do them well than you are a whole lot of things and not do them at all. Isn't that right? Because once you say, I will, not only does the church depend on you, but God depends on you. It's the work of God. You see, all of this is not just man's idea, but this is indeed God's idea. And if you're faithful, there are certain things that, that just become a habit in your life. Now, I don't know if you know how the Methodist Church got its name or not, but the Methodist Church really got its name from the founders of the Methodist faith. John Wesley... And uh, what was his brother's name? What did you say? Charles. Charles. Charles and John Wesley. Do you know how it got its name, Methodist? Because you see, they had a mode of operation. They prayed so many hours before they did anything else. And they worked so many hours. And they prayed so many more hours. And they worked so many hours, and when they started the church, it was that way. Everything was clockwork with them. They had a method, and they became known as the Methodists. Now, <clears throat> while I do not concur with the Methodist doctrine, there is nothing wrong with having a method of operation nothing wrong with it and there, there, there are people that that uh, never know what they're going to do never if they have awful a week and you ask what are you going to do I don't know you usually don't end up doing anything important what are you doing Saturdays I don't know What do you do on Sunday afternoons? I don't know. What do you, you know? Then you say, I wonder if I could get you to do this for God. Well, I'm too busy. Did you know usually the real, the people that say they're too busy to do anything, don't know what they're going to do from day to day. Oh, now I know because I question people. They just don't know what they're going to do. But they're too busy. And you know the reason why they're real busy? Because they haven't figured out yet what they need to do and put it in a schedule and do it. Okay. And so life, the commodities of life, become adverse to us. And they become curses to us instead of blessings. That car God gave me should be a blessing to His kingdom. Don't ever let it become a curse to you. Our buses ought to be a blessing to the kingdom of the Lord. Don't let them become liabilities to Calvary Gospel Church. This building is a blessing. Don't allow it to become a curse to us. And everything that you own in life, if you're faithful... Not to it, but for to the cause in which it was granted. They become extremely useful. They become extremely important to the cause of the Lord and great assets to His kingdom instead of straight liabilities. And that's what the Scripture is trying to teach you. Whatever it is that God's given you, Do it and be faithful toward it. Keep it up. Your home can be the most blessed thing that you've ever had. A place to live. Neat and shining and sparkling and such. Well, I do not say that we've got the neatest, cleanest house in the world. And it's not my aim nor Sister Grant's aim to see it that way. We don't want to become literal slaves and servants to it. But I can assure you this one thing. I have gone away many, many times. And I've come in. And when I walk in the door, there is just a fresh breeze. Sister Grant sprayed the house and everything. I said, "Hun, this is such a beautiful, lovely fragrance. And you know what she told me one time? She said, well, you know, you spend a lot of time in motel rooms and traveling with the district board and such. I never want to those places become so appealing to you that home that home is just mediocre and I can assure you this one thing while I don't love my home from the standpoint of loving it like I love the cause and 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 people, you like things, you, you love God and you love people. I can assure you this one thing. When I'm away, there's a real magnet that pulls me toward Madison. My wife, of whom I love, and just a beautiful place to To live. And uh, Sister Grant can tell you, you know, if there's anything that makes me irate, come home and maybe the boys have been driving the cars and and in the floor there's hearty wrappers and you know, there's pop cans and Ugh. But you gotta get out anyway. Why leave it in the car? <clears throat> Why let it stack up? Every time you get in with your fresh shine shoes and your hair all slicked back, you know, and got your tie on, and you Sunday go to meet and duds, and you're ready to go, and you look down at all these wrappers. <clears throat> I mean, who wants to live in a trash can? Isn't that right? I mean, you don't feel worth much, do you? Praise God. You're so quiet tonight. <laughs> I can hardly believe this. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. Lord. All right, let us stand. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, please understand this. You know, there is a balance in everything. And don't become so rigid that if a paper wrapper is left in your car, you lose your cool. (laughs) We're talking about continual things. If this becomes a habit, it's always jumped up, always this, always that. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can, you can ride to church or someplace uh, sitting on a Hardy wrapper without losing the Holy Ghost. You know, you know. You follow what I'm saying? But if you got a leak in in your in your pipe downstairs don't don't let it just literally ruin the basement before you get it fixed because it's going to cost you a whole lot of money and you're going to have a lot, so much grief and you're going to lay there at night you can't sleep see you follow what i'm saying in other words run your life in a very diligent manner and that's what the lord's talk see when he says it's required in stewards of men be found faithful most people think that means paying your tithing coming to church Well, that's exactly what it would mean if that's all there is in life. If that's all you managed. But you see, God has turned your entire life over to you to manage. The work at church, attendance is necessary, but there are other things. I don't know, I... I would just feel like a no good for nothing, low down, sorry, rotten bum if all I did was come to church and pay my tithes. I just can't feature what life would be like if it's all I had to do, as far as church is concerned. I can't. I just can't feature. You know, if I were on the pew and you were behind the pulpit, I'd probably run you crazy looking for something to do. I mean, if you expected me to do nothing but sit, I couldn't do it. I can tell you, I just couldn't do it. And even now, when I come to church and I see stuff stacked up, you know, somebody's watered the lawn, they didn't put the hose up, or somebody's working in the back room, they just pile stuff, oh now every now and then I almost lose my Holy ghost. I' got to get in here and pray. I said, "Oh, it's coming out. I' better get in there and pray back in. <laughs> You know, you know, don't want to have a backslidden preacher come Sunday morning. <clears throat> but you know this is God's house too, and we are to manage it, and it should look nice, and should be clean and well kept. And people who come should, men especially, should sit up straight and mannerly. Is that right? Don't you don't you hate to see somebody slouching? Now you're all been, you've been standing. I'm going to sit. You, that's right, Brother Grant. Amen. <laughs> but the worst thing anybody could do is is sleep. <laughs> now, you know what? I'll tell you what would be good education for every person here, if you come up here and sit one night. Maybe we should just rotate. Because every now and then, and then the one that really gets me is when somebody is chewing gum. Looking all around. You know, and they're not listening to me. This is God's kingdom on the earth. God didn't say, I suggest that you be faithful. He said, I require it. Whatever you do, put your shoulder to the wheel and do it right. Right. And anything that's not worth doing right is not worth doing at all. Isn't that right? But to sit up and listen and put your gum behind your ear until you leave. See, Take notes if you want to. Keep your eyes open. You'd get fired off of any job if they caught you sleeping. You know the reason why you don't sleep on your job? One. You're probably interested in your job. And secondly, you know you get fired. Well, you know Brother Grant's not going to run you off. I have several times thought about just whispering and say, let's all leave and turn the lights off. And just file out and turn the lights off and lock the door. And just leave you in the dark in here. Wouldn't that be great? You wake up... You don't know where you are in outer darkness. (laughs) (USIC) Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Isn't the Lord great? Praise God. Let's lift our hands and just worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, God. We love you, Lord, and we worship you, God, with our whole heart, with our mind, with our soul, with our strength, God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God. Hallelujah. God. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We'll work till Jesus comes. You know that chorus? We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work. Till Jesus comes, we'll work. Till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. We'll work. Till Jesus comes, we'll work. Till Jesus comes, we'll work. Till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. We'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. And then there's a chorus that talks about the beautiful time when, we'll get, when we get over there. Praise God. Let's sing it. Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Praise God. Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Oh, won't we have a time... Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Oh... Won't we have a time? Let's raise it. Let's raise it, Simon. Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Won't we have a time? But there are three houses that all Christians are concerned about. All Christians, three homes, his home in which he lives. It always ought to be neat and nice where you could ask anybody to come to stay all night with you. You know, President Reagan wants to come. You know, I'll give him the best I've got. Now, it may not be the best place he's ever lived in or stayed overnight in. Probably won't be. But you see, when you give it your best, you don't have to hang your head in shame, because this is the best I can do. And the second home is the house of God. It always ought to be presentable, so if the mayor drops in, you don't have to hang your head and say, oh, we didn't clean up so good this week. Pews are scratched, and carpet's dirty, and... Go hide all those things on the coat rack because the mayor's coming. And the third home is where we're laying up treasures right now. And I have perfect confidence that it's going to be so immaculate that I can ask anybody on this earth to go with me and I'll not be ashamed when I get there. It's all going to be in order. Why? Because Jesus says, I go to prepare that place. Now, you just do on earth like we do up in heaven. That's what he prayed. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to sing this chorus one more time and then at the conclusion you find a place to kneel and pray. We'll sing and shout and dance about when we get up yonder. We'll sing and shout. Dance about when we get over yonder. We'll sing and shout. Dance about when we get over.